This is the St. Long Chinus's baptism podcast channel. Uh, this section is on what the true Catholic Church teaches. This will be episode one. And um what will we what we will be covering in this episode is the Apostles' Creed. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Behold me, Lord. Do with me what you will. May your will ever be done. I only desire what you will. I desire to suffer what you will. I desire to die when you will. Into your hands I commend my body, my soul, my life, and my death. I love you, O oh my God, whether it pleases you to send me consolations or afflictions, and I desire to love you always. Eternal Father, I unite my death to that of Jesus Christ, and I offer it to you in order to please you. Will of my God, you are my love. Good pleasure of my God, I devote myself entirely to you. In Jesus' name I pray. In the name of um, um in Jesus' name I pray. Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Amen. Before I get into the nuts and bolts of this uh, this little uh introduction to this uh first episode, I wanna I wanna say that this'll be Technically, this will be my 17th episode. I really don't count the introduction that I did earlier. So this is going to be my 16th introduction. To those of you who have been listening to any part of my episodes, you will realize when I'm quoting traditional Catholic sources that they use the 16th century uh, English and this English, for the most part, is the type of English that is used when you're dealing with um, Catholic spiritual or educational material up until uh, I'm not completely familiar with um, the entire the, the whole information, but basically what I'm saying is the 15th, or I'm sorry, the 16th century English is used in most Catholic material prior to Vatican II. I'll go that far. Prior to Vatican II, if you picked up uh, like prayer, a prayer book or, you know, um, devotional material, saints' writings and stuff, they did not updated into present day English. Um, but I do, I have said in previous episodes that I'm going to use present day English, present day English, present day idioms. So it occurred to me this morning when I was doing the introduction 
to this new direction I'm doing that I'm going to have to, because un- unlike, unlike other set of a contest, uh, podcasts, you know, um, they're basically targeted at, you know, other set of a contest or Catholics who are familiar with traditional Catholic writings and teachings. So they just go ahead and they use the the archaic English, what I consider to be archaic English. Nobody speaks the language of Shakespeare anymore, you know. And if they do, you're going to look at them, you know, if you're if you're a regular person and somebody says, "Oh, thee, thee are the prettiest rose in the valley," you know, they use the these and thous and, you know, all that. You're going to look at them like they've lost their nut, you know. So um, I, I, uh, I came to the realization that I'm going to have to update the language and I do use notes for my episodes, but in my notes, I just basically, I use the material that's given to me on, um, and sometimes I just, if I have the book handy, I'll just quote from the book. Basically, my bottom line is, is that if it is, if it is traditional Catholic material and it is written in the 16th century English, I'm going to have to translate it or not translate it per se, but just update the language to the best of my ability. Anyway, I thought I'd just get that out there. Okay, so this, um, this episode um I'm 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 covering uh a catechism or I should say catholic catechisms written before Vatican II. Um I'm basically going to shoot for my material coming the uh, the, the the material I'm going to be looking for is is definitely going to be before the 1930s. Now, I do realize if, if you are a traditional Catholic, even if you're Norvis Ordo or Vatican II sect, you know they're both the same thing. Um, you're you're gonna you're probably going to be scratching your head and you're going to say, well, wait a minute, Vatican II wasn't until 1960. Why are you going, you know, 30 years prior? And that is because without getting too deep in the weeds on the on 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 this uh material I'm going to be covering. Uh, and by the way, if if you're if you're totally new to this situation, if you're a non-Catholic, if you're if you're uh, atheist or agnostic or, or you know, you're you're new to this. None of what I'm going to be talking about, you're going to have any context to. So what I suggest is, I cover a lot of the terms and the history that I'm going to be using in my earlier episodes. So what I would suggest is is just if um, you know, some of the stuff I'm going to be covering. Just listen to some of my episodes on Catholicism and it'll give you a baseline of what I'm talking about.
Um, but basically, the reason I'm I'm going from 1930 and before is because the source material is going to probably has a higher probability of being legitimate. Um, for those of you who the set of contest, if they're even bothering to to tune into this, they're going to know this instinctively. Well, I hope they do. And if not, I'm hoping I'm giving them information they not they may not be aware of. But and and I guess that's a fair that's a fair comment to make because I've heard other set of contests say that um there's this general attitude of in the set of contest movement that while well, if the material is before Vatican II, it's legit automatically, which is not the case. And the reason why I say this is not the case is because if you know Catholic history, or I should say church history, you will know that the Masons, the Masonic movement, and without getting too deep in the weeds, I have heard traditional Catholics say, Whoa, what's wrong with the Masons? They're the guys that ride around the little red cars with the little fezzes. Those are not Masons. Those are not Masons. Those are, um, I forget the name of their, Shriners. They're Shriners. Basically, a Shriner is to the Masonic movement what a Boy Scout is to the Green Berets, to put it as bluntly and plainly as I can. You know, you're not going to send a Boy Scout armed with an M16 15 miles into enemy territory to take out an enemy headquarters. Okay? So, you know, when people when people make that argument, oh, they're just they're just ridiculous little men in little red cars who build hospitals. Uh, and by the way, the people that are making this argument, <laughs> they they know better. They freaking know better. Um, the cat, uh, the Catholic press in the past two hundred years, actually three hundred years, has put out reams of material about the Masonic, the the the, the Masons. You know, like I said, the actual Masons, like the thirty second degree Masons. Um, they, they put out reams of material. There's no excuse for you thinking that the Shriners and an actual 32nd degree Mason are the same thing. That's, that's, that's just willful ignorance at best. That's willful ignorance at best. And quite frankly, um, quite frankly, if you're making the argument, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be automatically suspicious and think you're trying to, you're you're being a dishonest actor that you're that you that you have ulterior motives because anybody um you know I'm I'm rather new to the Mason angle. I kind of came onto it when I started researching set of contism. I'd always heard about, you know, the 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 the, the, the evil Masonic movement, but at the time, I wasn't interested in researching it. It sounded plausible, but it wasn't something I was really interested in. Because let's be honest, if if you read about the Masons, they're 
they're not really, I mean, they're kind of interested in um, undermining society as a lot as a whole. But if you read the writings of the Masons, or if you read the history, I should say, at least I've read the history or done some research into it. I'm not going to say my my knowledge is complete, but if 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 you if you do even the shallowest research, you're going to find out that the Masons they were more interested in undermining Catholicism than you know, say the secular government of the United States, which as I covered in a previous um, episode. A lot of our founders were Masonic and a lot of the principles that are built into our system of government are actually Masonic ideas. Now, for my American listeners, I'm I'm not trying to say that every American founder or every American person in government is a 32nd degree Mason. I'm not making that argument. What I am saying, though, that is, is that you can... I, I kind of covered this without implicitly saying so in in other earlier episodes. There are a lot of people who consider themselves to be politically conservative in America. But if you talk to them and you talk about the, the, the views that they hold politically, their views are closer to the neoconservative movements than actual traditional Catholicism. Or I'm sorry, traditional um conservatism but they're totally unaware they think that they are literally traditional traditional conservatives and they have no idea the basis of their um of their political beliefs and um you know without getting too long-winded the same holds true for the people um who consider themselves traditional catholics they think you know, and when I say the um, traditionalist Catholics, I'm not talking about set of a contest here. I'm talking about the people who go to to the Society of Saint Pius the Tenth churches, uh, the priestly fraternity of Saint Peter, which is Norvis Ordo traditionalist. I'm talking about these people, the people that they consider themselves traditionally Catholic, but they recognize the Vatican II Council and its popes. And they don't, they don't realize that, you know, uh, their traditionalism and the traditionalism of the Sedevacantist movement are not the same thing. They have things in common because like any good grifters, the Vatican II Church will pick and choose stuff that sounds attractive to 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 lure people who are ignorant of the subject and you know it's the bait and switch oh I'll offer you this this shiny diamond and you know you'll you'll pay up your $10,000 to buy that diamond but when you get it home you find out it's actually just a shiny piece of glass that's why I can put it anyway so That's the reason why I'm using, uh, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to use material before 1930. And by the way, 
Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. Uh, what I'm saying is, is the Masons started in, uh, infiltrating the Catholic Church. The first, the first uh, information that started coming out about this infiltration came out in the 18th century. Um, and so, at that time, um. Obviously, they, the the Masonic movement did not have the pull and the reach that it's got now. Uh, if if I were to make an educated guess, and that's all it is, is an educated guess, I would say that the Masonic movement is probably at the height of its power right now, because everything that's going on in present day you know, uh, politically, socially, what have you, a lot of that stuff has, um, it has, uh, its roots in Masonic, in Masonic philosophy. Um, now some people who are a little more political are going to say, well, a lot of that's communism. Well, if you if you re research the Catholic material on Masonic um, philosophy, you'll find out philosophy, uh, philosophy and political theory. A lot of the the tenets of communism were actually um, were actually Masonically influenced. I mean, and once again, just because a person is not you know, in an actual Masonic lodge does not mean the ideas that they're putting forth aren't Masonically influenced. You know, that's why they call them unwitting puppets or, uh, as Lenin used to say, um, useful idiots. You know, there, there's a reason that those terms are used because, you know, anyway, I, this is, this is not, a political or a philosophical show. I just, in my own long-winded way, wanted to explain why um, my methodology for the material I'm going to be using. All right, so having said that, this episode is, um, I'm going to start with the Apostles' Creed. As another point of reference, when I do the episodes, basically catechisms are um, are broken down by subject material. So you're going to have a section on the Apostles' Creed. You're going to have exception. Uh, um, you're going to have a section on the sacraments. You're going to have a section on um, the saints. You're going to have a section on um, you know anything to do with Catholic doctrine. It's going to be broken down by subject. And I'm starting off with the Apostles' Creed, but be because the catechism that I'm taking this from starts off with the Apostles' Creed, I'm not always going to use the same catechism. Um, some catechisms cover more, more subjects than others, but... I will give a listing and the uh, the listing of the catechism and the author in the show notes of each one that I do. 
so that you will be able, you know, if this, if you find that of interest to you, you will be able to hopefully find the book and uh, read it and inform yourself. So, um, the title of this section is called the first article of the creed in which are set forth the doctrine of the first person of the most holy trinity and the work of creation. And this is taken from the Catholic Catechism and the author's name is Peter Cardinal Gaspieri, 1932. Okay, so it starts off with the prayer of the Apostles' Creed, which I'm going to uh, go ahead and say because uh, not everybody that's going to listen to this is gonna may not even know what the Apostles' Creed is and may not have even have heard of it. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from hence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Um, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. One last note before we, we start digging into the material that's going to be covered. A lot of the catechisms that were written before Vatican II were, were written in question and answer format. So, um, this the material I'm going to be covering is basically going to be question answer. It's it's not going to be written, you know, in in um, in a conventional style. Now, some of you who may be Vatican II sect members who have read the the catechisms that have come out, um, you know, after Vatican II are going to be a little confused by this because uh, having been Vatican II member myself, I have had the 1983 copy of the catechism of uh, the heretic in chief at that time, Pope, quote, unquote, quote, and quote, Pope John Paul II. And anyone who's read that catechism knows it, it reads more like a, it, it reads more like a mission statement than a catechism is the best way I can put it. When I was issued this catechism, when I entered RICA, um, it was very boring, very dry for me. Now, you know, everybody's an individual, so maybe you thought it was a fascinating read. Me personally, I'd rather read the encyclopedia or the dictionary, you know. At least they have interesting facts. 
Um, so that's that. Question. Why do I have to believe in the God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Or I'm sorry, why do I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? By the words I believe in God, I mean that I firmly believe God exists and that I serve him, I serve after him as the highest good and my last end. Question. What do I mean by God? Answer. By the name of God, I mean a most pure spirit, infinite in understanding, will, and all perfection. One until, or I'm sorry, one of unity of nature in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who make up the most holy trinity. Question. Why are there three? Why are there three persons in one God? Answer, the three persons in one God, because they are consubstantial, that is, they have one in the same nature, and therefore the same perfection or attributes. Question, what are the principal perfections or attributes of God? Answer, the principal perfections and attributes of God are these. Eternal, because neither has nor can have beginning and or succession. All-knowing, because he has all things in his sight, even those things which will come to pass by the free will of his creatures, their hearts, affections, and secret thoughts. And immeasurable because he is in heaven on earth and all places that are or can be just because he renders to everyone according to his merits either in this life or certainly in the next almighty because he can do whatever he wishes by the simple act of his will Good, because he created, preserves, and disposes all things by his innate goodness, power, and wisdom, and because the good things we enjoy come from him, and because in his goodness he hears the prayers of those who ask. Merciful, because desiring all men to be saved, he has redeemed them from the service of the devil and pours out on earth the means necessary for salvation because he does not will the death of the sinner, but rather that he be converted and live. And when they say live, they're not talking. You're I, I, Obviously, you're alive. They're talking about spiritual life. Question, what do you mean by the words, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Answer, I mean that God made out of nothing both spiritual and temporal creatures, that is, the angels, this world, and man. Question, does God take care of all created things? Answer, God takes care of all created things as so far as he preserves them, upholds them, and governs them so that there 
neither is nor can be anything that happens without God's will or permission. Question, what do you call the care that God takes of created things? Answer, divine providence. Question, what are the most excellent of God's creatures? Answer, angels and men. Question, what are angels? Answer, angels are pure spirits endowed with intellectual will. They were established in a state of justice and holiness so that if they cooperated with the grace of God, they might merit glory. Question, did all the angels cooperate with the grace of God? Answer, not all the angels cooperated with God's grace. Those who did enjoy in heaven the beatific vision of God, those who did not cooperate with God's grace were thrust into hell and are called demons and their chief is Satan. Just a quick note, I do realize that I did say that um, in my introduction, I was just going to read, I was going to read the... um, the sections and I wasn't going to add my own commentary as I'm doing this. I'm realizing that to the uninitiated, I'm going to have to explain a few things in this particular section where it talks about the demons in the book of in the last book of the new Testament, which the Catholics call the apocalypse and which in the Protestant Bible is known as revelations. It talks about how the dragon which is, by all accounts, a code name for the devil, with his tail swept down one-third of the stars from the sky. What that is commonly thought to mean is, is that when Satan made his rebellion against God, he took a third of the angels in heaven with him when, when he did that. So, just thought you should know that. Question. Does God use the ministry of the angels? Answer, in many ways, God uses the ministry of the angels, especially in his care of men, and gives all men a guardian angel at birth. Question, does it help our spiritual life to have a devotion to our guardian angel? Answer, it is very helpful to have a devotion to our guardian angel. Revering him, calling on him, especially in times of temptation, following his promptings, thanking him for his help, and never vexing him by sin. Question, why did God create man? God created man to know him, to love him, and to serve him. I want to repeat this last part. God created man to know him, to love him, and to serve him. The reason I'm putting special emphasis on this, I was also, um, before I became a Vatican II Catholic, I was a Protestant in the early 2000s. And some popular Protestant ministers put out books about, you know, why are we here on earth? You know, why, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? And some of them have said that we are put on the earth 
so that God can enjoy us. Now, just as a quick aside, when I first read this, I had no idea about Catholic. No, I take that back. I take that back. I I had I had been through our the RICA class uh, for the uh, for the Vatican II Catholic Church, so I had a kind of understanding of Catholicism. But I remember when I heard this particular statement, I thought. This 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 sounds kind of pop culture. This sounds like pop culture. This does not sound like solid religious teaching. And it turns out it isn't. Because God is perfect. And being perfect, he doesn't need the things that he created. If he the, the things he created are for his own his own satisfaction. He does not you know, but he does not need to create human beings because he enjoys them. You know, if, if heaven or I'm sorry, well, yeah, if heaven and earth did not exist and God was just where he's at and nothing, um, that exists right now was around, he would be perfectly happy with that, but he does not need created reality to exist to be content so i just throw i I thought i'd throw that out there so after i'm sorry so that after death man might possess god in the beatific vision and be happy with him forever so basically that last part means your end goal is heaven your, your end goal is not to become a millionaire. Your, your end goal is not to marry Mila Kunis and, and, and father a hundred kids and uh, be the CEO of your own company. Your end goal is to get to heaven. Question, who were the parents of the, of the human race? Answer, Adam and, Adam and Eve, whom God made and placed in an earthly paradise giving them a supernatural state and heaping upon them marvelous gifts of grace and nature. Question, how did God raise our first parents to the supernatural state? Answer, God raised our parents, and when he says parents, he's talking about, you know, our first parents, Adam and Eve to the supernatural state by giving them justice and holiness intending that these gifts should be permanent endowment of human nature. So basically he, God gave Adam and Eve perfect justice and perfect holiness. Um, but they also had free will, which when I get a little bit into this section, we'll talk about. Question, why did God forbid our first parents their supernatural state? Because, oh, I'm sorry, answer, because they both disobeyed God by eating the fruit off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Question, did our first parents obey God's command? Answer, By disobeying God's command, 
They lost justice and holiness owing to the grave sin of pride and disobedience and were driven out of paradise and became subject to concupiscence, death, and all pain, all the pains and misery of life. Um, question. Did Adam harm his descendants by his disobedience? Answer. Adam harmed his dis his uh, descendants by his disobedience because he transmitted to them concupiscence, death, and other punishments, and human nature lost its justice and holiness. This is called original sin. This is what the human race suffers from. Just a quick, a quick little note. You'll get a lot of people... You know, and I, I used to be one of these people who couldn't understand why life on earth was such a hellish thing. Basically, God intended the human race to love him and serve him perfectly, but he also gave them free will. They're, they're you know, this, despite what Calvinists will tell you, we are not, we are not automatons wound up by God who do his will, you know, unquestioningly. Um, we have free will. We, we are free to choose good or evil in our actions. And um, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they used their free will to do that. They broke they broke the relationship with God and therefore we are cursed with original sin which means what the original state we were intended for which was perfection in God is now broken and because that connection's broken the world we live in and our relationship with God is broken and therefore Suffering is going to be part of life. Um, you know, no matter who you are, you're going to have sufferings, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations. Um, also, too, this is actually, it's also a blessing in the sense that while we're on earth, we're not meant to, to make life on earth, heaven on earth. We're not supposed to make earth our heaven. Our heaven is with God. So if anyone ever tells you that we're supposed to have paradise on earth, be suspicious of that person. They probably have an underlying motive for saying that. It may be said out of ignorance, but there are, there, there are a lot of um, hucksters out there who, who peddled this garbage to try to get you to do what they want you to do. Question, has there anyone been kept from original sin? The Blessed Virgin Mary alone was the first instant, or I'm sorry, from the first instant of her conception through the foreseen merits of Jesus Christ by the unique privilege, privilege granted of her by God, kept free from original sin. This is what is known as the Immaculate Conception.
Question, what does the church hold about the death of the Blessed Virgin Mary? The church teaches that the Blessed Virgin Mary was separated from her soul, but that her soul was reunited to her incorrupt body and by the ministry of the angels taken into heaven where she was enthroned above, and I'm going to repeat this, above the angels. This is why the Blessed Virgin Mary is called the Queen of Heaven. Okay, so that's, that's the first section. That's, that's basically the first section. And um, I know that there's a lot of terms, especially if you have no... No... Uh, no understanding of Catholic theology or Christianity. It's, it's a lot to take in. Um, but this is a catechism. So it's got a lot of the stuff that may not be covered in detail in this first section will be covered on later. And if it is not covered in this particular catechism, I'm sure that I will, I, I, I intend on covering most of the cat, um, the tenets of Catholic theology in later episodes. So I'm sure it'll be covered sooner or later. If you are impatient and you want to learn more, um, you can use your Google. Uh, however, I would advise very, very humbly advise. Um, if you use Google, do not use a Protestant source because obviously Protestants and Catholics have two different conceptions of theology. I would use a Catholic source. Um, there's something else, there's something else I wanted to cover. Oh, as, as far as the concepts go, okay, what I just, this first section and the, and the next sections I'm going to be covering this particular catechism starts off with a child's catechism. Okay, please do not take this as an insult. Please do not take this as me being condescending. I'm just letting you know this is, this is not a slam. This is not me trying to be a jerk. Um, this section, uh, the next couple of sections I'm going to be covering are known what is the child's catechism. This is basically what children were taught when they went to their relig religious instruction classes. I, I couldn't tell you what grade that they, you know, I'm sure it probably varied depending on the place and time. But basically the first two or three sections I'm going to be covering are going, um, these, these are basic concepts. Um, these, these are not like you need a, uh, a Harvard degree in theology to figure out these concepts. So, um, because it's an older book, it's, it's going to be a little more formal in its language and it's going to sound intimidating. But my suggestion would be if you start feeling like, wow, this sounds heavy, man, this, this, this sounds like a lot to take in. Just my suggestion would be just re-listen 
to what I'm talking about. And if it's necessary, try to get a copy of the book. The, the book, it's this particular catechism, it, it, it said it's out of print. But they do have copies of this catechism online, which you can download for free. So um, at your leisure, you can probably download this catechism and read it for yourself. Um, but, um, I, I, I would try to reassure you that this, this stuff in this first section and the next few sections is nothing, nothing that that's intimidating or, you know, you need to have an over 130 IQ to figure out. Anyway, guys, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening. I hope that the Holy Ghost has reached you and given you some, some spiritual food that you can use or, you know, enlighten yourself with. And I hope in the future that I can, uh, not me personally, but the Holy Ghost can use me to, to help you in more ways than this. Um, thank you for listening. Have a good day. God bless you. I am praying for you. Goodbye.